0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and I trust that you are joining us every week at the same time as we continue our study in the book of Romans. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really enjoying this series out of the book of Romans. And uh, i I just think that it's so valuable that to to look at this in context as being read as a letter and not a standalone chapter. I think what we do is cherry pick certain verses to make you know kind of get uh, uh, our our point across. But when you read the context of this as being not a book that was written, but a letter written to Romans, it's probably the one of the most incredible treaties of the gospel of any I've ever seen. And what it's showing is both the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile as he concludes in chapter 2 and 3, all under sin so he can have mercy on all. And then he shows how that through the gospel and through faith in Christ we were brought into one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so we've been dealing with Romans the ninth chapter. Now I'm going to not review too much in this except to tell you that if you'd like to review all the stuff we've taught on the book of Romans, you can go back and watch them at your leisure on our YouTube channel. And once again, the easiest way to do that is to go to my website at, you'll see that on the screen, and in the upper right hand corner there is a icon for the YouTube channel, there is a icon for our podcast, and there is a little robot-looking thing for our uh, RSS feed for your Android devices, so that you can get the video and the audio for free by simply going there watching, and you can catch up to where we are at. While you're there on the website, you can check my itinerary. We are coming to a city near you sometime, and yeah, we'd love to meet you. Also, there's a place where you could give. If you'd like to give or become a partner with our ministry, we do need your help to be able to take uh, this kind of a message on this kind of a platform, literally around the world. So do that today. Let me start again reading again this. Um, I'm going to read the whole uh, thing, and then we're going to Come to the end of it because I've already commented for several programs on the first a few uh, chapters of this uh, book of Romans. It says, I tell you the truth in Christ; I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of God, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally blessed God. Amen. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed will be called. That in those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob, I I, I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And what shall we say then, is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say then to me, say, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to the thing who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another to dishonor. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even as us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Uh, also he says in Hosea, I will call them a people who are not a people, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, that they, there sh- they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work in the earth. Now I want to come back first of all and reiterate the remnant that I talked about in the last segment, but then I want to talk about the sovereignty and the vessels and the pottery, hopefully. Romans the 11th chapter grabs this very concept. Remember, Paul is continuing a theme. Romans 2, he's not a Jew which is one outwardly whose circumcision is that of the heart. Paul's going on to talk about Romans 5, 6, and 7. Our righteousness and our establishment in Him is not based on our works, but on faith and on faith alone. Romans 8 is talking about our adoption and the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile. Even as we come into Romans in the ninth chapter, he's showing you the mystery of his will, that the God all in all of First Corinthians 15 is that Jesus has delivered up the kingdom where God can be God both of the Jew and of the Gentile so that he can be brought together in one even in Him, into one body. And I think that that is at least part of the revelation that He's trying to give us about the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. And though it may have implication to us physically and individually, it also has, I believe, fulfillment found in us corporately, as that we receive that adoption into that body through our new birth, which is life from the dead, or the resurrection of the dead, which I believe is the fulfillment even of some of the promises that God made in Ezekiel 37, and the dry bones living again and coming together in Him, who was the royal seed of David and the new covenant which He offers in those chapters. You also find that and Jeremiah. But when he picks that up in Romans 11, and we'll probably hit this more when we get over there, it says, even so then, at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So he's talking about, he has not rejected his people completely, but they still have to come in through the same way that you came in. Let me, let me say to you, this book called The Great I Am, is the latest book I wrote, There are seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. And every time he does, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. In other words, you thought Israel was the vine, they're not the vine, I'm the true vine. Jesus is the true vine that Romans 11 is talking about, so that whether it's a natural branch, or the spiritual branch, the issue is there is one Israel connected to the true vine and to the true root. And so he is talking in this book of the great I am. I am the true vine. But he's also in this book, he says, I am the door. I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. I, I can't do anything, folks, except preach Christ. and I- That's the central theme of the gospel, any other thing is another gospel which is not another gospel. And Paul said, if you preach any other gospel, then what's been delivered, let him be a curse. What he's talking about, if you go back and preach the law, it puts people back up under the curse, because uh, it, 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 I, I read to you in the last uh, program that we did, how that those are of the works of the law are under a curse. The only way you could put people under a curse in the New Covenant is to put them back up under curse the law. And he goes on to say in Romans 11, verse 5, to say, even so then at this present time there is also a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now let me just tell you this, In Revelation chapters number 7 and chapters number 14, there are 144,000, 12,000 out of every tribe that is sealed. And then after that is a multitude that no man can number. This is the same group that's mentioned again, uh, the seventh chapter mentions the 12 tribes. It's the same group that's mentioned again in Revelation 14. And in Revelation 14, they sang a new song. The new song is the new song of the new covenant. And I believe, and you're going to have to go back and listen to my eschatology stuff, but I believe the book of Revelation was written to the first century, seven churches. It is John's view of the Olivet Discourse. You see in chapters number five, six, and seven, A little book being opened, and you see in it lamentation, mourning, and woe, but they're also singing a new song singing, Thou hast redeemed us. So the book of Revelation is for believers what they've been redeemed from, but for those who've rejected the apostate Israel, it was God keeping His end of the covenant bargain. And just like you see famines, wars, earthquakes, death and hell, sun, moon, and stars darken, all of that were part of what Jesus prophesied in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, and he declared to them in Matthew 24 and in Matthew chapter 23 that all of those calamities would come upon that generation that he was speaking to right then. And so the great tribulation that came, that many came out of who washed their robes and made them white was the people who had received the truth of what Jesus had preached and this remnant that was sealed, the 144,000 is the first fruits unto God out of, I believe, the twelve it says, out of the twelve tribes of Israel, and this was the remnant, and this was also the remnant of which uh the uh, in Revelation let me read this to you in Revelation the twelfth chapter, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Revelation twelve he tells you that those that were carried into the wilderness to be kept were a remnant. These are the people that Jesus prophesied, or that Jesus told, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you will know that it's not even at the door, let him that's in Judea flee into the mountains. Every believer that heard Jesus preach that fled Jerusalem and went to a town called Pella and lived in the wilderness where they were kept for 42 months, times, times, and a half of times, Which was the same amount of time prophesied. And uh, in in the last part of the book of Daniel, chapter 12, where he prophesies about times, times, and a half a time, and tribulation such as was not since the world began, these are the ones who are the remnant that were saved. They were simply the first fruits, which means that's the wave of the sheath of first fruit, which means there's a whole nother bunch coming. And the 42 months that they were kept in the wilderness was the same amount of time that the remnant uh, was kept, uh, was, uh, was the same amount of time that the Romans had seized the city, was the same amount of time that the remnant were kept in the wilderness and fed by the wings of a great eagle. And I think these are some incredible things. Jesus also tells them in Matthew 10 and 11 to go into the cities of Jerusalem and announce that the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. It's arrived. It's not somewhere in the distant future. He told them to tell them in those cities the kingdom of God has arrived. He said, uh, if they don't receive you, shake the dust from your feet. It will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. In Luke 17, verse 29, Jesus said that the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained brimstone and fire. This is exactly what happened in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and through the 66 to 70 A.D. in the war of the Jews. uh, uh, And Jesus calls Jerusalem, Sodom, and Egypt, in Revelation chapter 11, verse number 8. And so he is literally drawing these people out as a firstfruits to God who are being included in the covenants of promise. Listen, the gates are wide open. I love how the book of Revelation considers the city of God. And I know I'm saying a mouthful because I've taught this in other places, but go back and listen to my series on Revelation on uh, YouTube here as well. But, you know, it says concerning the city of God, which is the bride, the Lamb's wife. It's the tabernacle of God. It is the community of faith. It is the new Jerusalem of which we are now a part. This is one of the things he says. Her gates were never shut. But day and night the gates are open, and the gates are never shut. And the book of Revelation ends with the spirit and the bride saying, come, Jew, Gentile, bond free, you are all included in the covenants of promise. The only access you need is to come by faith in the one and only way in, and His name is Jesus. That's the remnant. And Isaiah said also, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have been, become like Sodom, and we would have been made like unto Gomorrah. That's Romans chapter 9, verse 29. So he's talking about the remnant coming into the covenants of promise. He says, What shall we say then? This is Romans the ninth chapter, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing uh, the law of righteousness has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by works, they stumbled at the stumbling stone As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put ashamed. Peter grabs that text, uh, that thought in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses number 5 through 10, and this is what he said, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected. I lost my place here. As The stone that the builders rejected, the same is made the head of the corner a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to him which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, and a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should be show forth the praises of Him, who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Watch this, which in time past, were not a people, but are now the people of God, which uh, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So he's showing his sovereignty in the sense that he is talking about their rejection, bringing the inclusion of the Gentile, and he's tying these two concepts together of the stone that the builders rejected in 1 Peter 2, 5-10, through to the same stone that he talked about, in Romans chapter 9, where Isaiah said, they stumbled at the stone of offense, and they stumbled at the stone and the rock of offense. And Peter tells you that that rock was Christ. And so, you know, I mean, it's so powerful to me that he's talking about, that God does not ever, uh, you know, leave His promises out, that He fulfills what He says, and sometimes that even these uh, rejections were part of the sovereign will of God, that He could see the end from the beginning. And let me just come back and grab this as well, because I wanted you to see this concerning even His sovereignty as it it pertains to uh uh Pharaoh, it says For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. You will say then to me, uh, why does he still find fault? Who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to the form who, thing who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel of honor and to, a, to another dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory, and the vessels of mercy which He had prepared beforehand for glory, even as us when He called not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. One of the things that I want you to see about this is that God's plan is so much bigger than we think it is. So, okay, He said how He used Pharaoh to show his power, and uh, you know, so it looks like almost well. What, what does God have? You know, what don't look like? Uh, you know, Pharaoh had a chance, but let me just show you this. Because first of all, in the old covenant, Pharaoh did not have a chance to be born again. He was not a part of the covenants of promise, so he's excluded, as well as many that were in the old people. Salvation was not yet offered to the Gentiles. It's exclusively given to the Jew first. And, and even when the book of Daniel talks about the power of the holy people was finally broken, it was their exclusive covenant with Yahweh that made that their power. But God wanted to include Gentiles. So he raises up Pharaoh, because if he don't have Pharaoh to afflict them, they won't want to leave Egypt. Now let me just say this to you. So, so, so God uses Pharaoh, but the scripture tells us in a great house there are vessels, some fitted to honor and some to dishonor. But, now think about this, in a great house, in other words, in God's great big plan, some of these vessels were fitted to honor and some to dishonor. Now the way I think about this is in light of the covenants again, because remember, Pharaoh is under an old, I mean, the old covenant is, 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 he's in the Old Testament. Let me say this, he's prior to the covenant with Israel, but he is in the same time period of the Old Testament coming into the Old Covenant. And so Pharaoh, a heathen king, is being used of God as a vessel fitted to wrath that God could bring his wrath and judgment against the oppressors of his people. Now let me just say this to you. Pharaoh didn't have a chance. Under the Old Covenant and under the Old Testament, salvation was not even offered to Pharaoh. But here's one of the things that I want you to understand. In a great house there are vessels, he says, what would the potter then say, or the thing that's made, say to the thing that made it, why did you make it like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay to make one vessel of honor and one to dishonor? Here's the thing that I think is powerful. You can do with this whatever you want to. But when Judas, who was also predetermined to betray Jesus, betrayed Jesus, he walked into, back to the priest and he takes the thirty pieces of silver, the plice of blood, and he throws it on the floor of the priest. And he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And Judas went out and hanged himself in the potter's field. Now watch this. They took the thirty pieces of silver and bought with it the potter's field. Now what was in the potter's field was in the valley of Hinnom, where we get our Greek word Gehenna, which we translate hell, which is a pitiful translation of this word. There's several words translated hell in the New Testament. There's Hades, Sheol, I mean there's several different words, but he, when he's talking about Gehenna, he's talking about a real world place that he his, his, but here's what happens. If you go back to the book of Jeremiah, you can read in the book of Jeremiah where it says that, that God instructed him to buy the potter's field, and he bought the potter's field with thirty pieces of silver, because he intended to take the vessels that were broken and make them over again. Again. So it would look to me like, you can just consider this as a possibility, that all of the Old Testament people who had no opportunity to come into the covenants of promise were the broken pieces of pottery fitted to destruction in an Old Covenant, Old Testament paradigm prior to Jesus and the cross, that they were the field that Jesus purchased with the price of His blood. I think that's incredible. He bought the potter's field. Zechariah prophesies about it. They weighed out for me 30 pieces of silver, and they bought with it the potter's field. And in that potter's field, perhaps, were the Judases, were the uh, pharaohs, were the ones who before were disobedient. Maybe when Jesus went to hell and preached to the spirits in prison, he made what was available at the cross retroactive, clear back to humanity, clear back to Adam, because the book of Peter said he preached to them who were sometime disobedient, even in the days before the flood. In other words, he made the cross, and the work of the cross retroactive, and went into hell and preached to the spirits in prison, and led captivity captive, and probably, I think this as a possibility, went up to Pharaoh and said, you did what you were supposed to do, but what you didn't realize is even Judas did what he was supposed to do. But the night before his decease, Jesus served Judas the elements of communion, said, this is my body that was broken for you. But the book of Acts takes great pain to point out that when Judas hung himself, if he'd awaited, Three hours, the hanging of Jesus, Jesus would have been his hanging, but he went and hanged himself, and the book of Acts takes great pain to point out, and his bowels burst asunder. What was in his bowels was the elements of communion and the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus that spattered all over every broken vessel that Jeremiah prophesied about, that in a great house There are vessels set for certain things, but God does not determine them to leave them in hell forever, but He determined that He would go and preach to the spirits in prison so that those who had fulfilled His will in an old covenant paradigm to bring them now to a new covenant could come in to the promises of God, because we're on this side of the cross now, and God does not tempt men with evil, Hallelujah. We simply need to grab hold of this and understand that God is sovereign enough to have all of His bases covered. He knows the end from the beginning. I trust you've enjoyed this on Romans chapter 9. If you take a moment to just go to the website and uh, so a seed into the ministry, there is a QR code you can give there. You can go to the website by that link, and you can give via credit card or by uh, debit card. You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. Or you can call the number that will come on the screen. And you can, uh, uh, if no one answers the phone, just leave a message. We'll get back to you. And especially if you'd like to give, be sure to do that today. We do need your help. It costs a lot to take the gospel around the world. God bless you.